morning's passage comes to us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 to 20. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Well, one thing that's true about living in Northern Virginia is that many of us and many of our neighbors are not from around these parts. So the greater D.C. area is full of transplants from other places in the states and really around the world. And so as I've gotten to know people um, since I've been here the last decade or so, it's always been a pleasant surprise when I find they've grown up here. That's more the case in Percival than where I've lived in eastern Loudoun before, but it's just cool. They went to Valley for high school, right? They root for D.C. sports teams and actually root for them, right? They grew up rooting for them. But for many of us, that's not the case. Home is far away. And so we know what it's like to be homesick, don't we? We know what it's like to long for what's familiar, what's dear to us. This morning, we're back in the letter of 1 Thessalonians, written by the Apostle Paul, one of the earliest letters we have written by him in the New Testament. And if you'll remember, Paul is writing to a church that has just started in the city of Thessalonica, which is in modern-day Greece. And he's writing to them from the city of Corinth, where he's been forced to go after being persecuted in Thessalonica and other cities. And if you think about the longing you may have for home, you'll understand Paul's similar longing, not for home, but for family, for his new family, for the believers that he's left behind in Thessalonica. Paul is yearning, he's longing to be back with them. These verses that Amy just read for us show us the depth of Paul's loving, fatherly heart towards these new believers. And so, as we consider these short four verses this morning, let's see three things from this text. First, Paul's love for the church. Second, Satan's hatred for the church. And third, Paul's joy in the church. So first, Paul's love for the church. So back in chapter 2, verse 7, Paul said his love for the, this fledgling congregation in Thessalonica was like the love of a mother for her kids. Intimate, caring, selfless. And then later in verse 11 of chapter 2, he said he had exhorted and charged them like a father, his children. You see, Paul doesn't see the church as primarily a religious institution, as a thing to check off the to-do list for Sunday mornings. No, for Paul, the church is a family, a family of God. It's the new spiritual family every single Christian is born into when they're saved by Christ. The church is incredibly precious to God, and it's incredibly precious to Paul. He says there he was torn away from them. Remember in Acts 17, he had been preaching the gospel and people were starting to respond. But then the Jews had begun to be jealous of what was happening and his success. And they had formed a mob 
and set the city in an uproar. They had attacked the house where Paul was staying and dragged its owner, Jason, out before the city authorities. Paul had had to escape by night secretly to avoid being brought before the authorities himself. He had been torn away from the new church that had just sprung up, and it was ripping his heart apart. The idea behind that word torn away is the idea of a parent being separated from his children. That's the idea of bereavement, separation. Paul is in pain because of his hasty departure from those who had just trusted in Jesus. He goes on there in verse 17 to call the Thessalonians brothers. Again, his family. This is the fifth time so far in this letter that he's referred to them in this way. He'd only spent a few weeks in their city, but in that time, a strong familial bond had developed. He goes on to tell them that he tried to get back to them. I mean, he'd been separated from them in person, but not in heart. Like Lee read for us earlier from Colossians, Paul told that church he was absent in body, but present with them in spirit. Paul loved those who were coming to Christ under his ministry. They were family. He wanted to nurture and care for them. And so he says there in verse 17 that he endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see them. It wasn't enough to speculate how they were. He needed to know they were okay. He needed to know they were following Jesus. Paul is filled with a sort of holy angst to know how his spiritual children are flourishing in their new life. Perhaps he wants to assure them that his quick departure hadn't been according to plan. I mean, he had wanted to stay. He wanted to be with them. We see in the beginning of chapter 3, which we'll look at in a few weeks, Lord willing, that he couldn't bear not knowing how they were. And so he sent Timothy. Timothy had come back with a good report of their perseverance, even in suffering. Paul, see Paul's great love for the church. He just overflows with genuine, heartfelt concern for their spiritual welfare. And I think we need to remember here that Paul didn't just love the church because they were lovable. He didn't have great desire to see them because they were so incredibly desirable to see, right? In and of themselves. I mean, they may have been impressive. I don't know. But Paul understood the true identity of the church that the church is Jesus through the gospel gathering a people for himself. And praise God, that now included the Thessalonians. Paul saw their young church and he saw the glory of Christ spreading throughout the world. He saw the fruit of the gospel. He saw the result of the preaching of the power of God. He saw the ones for whom Christ had died. I wonder how often we think of church that way. We, you know, we can complicate church a lot in our culture. We can make it all about the kids' programs or the outreach events. We can make it all about the music or the warm, inviting atmosphere. And all those things are important and good. But fundamentally, church, we're just a broken group of sinners Christ has redeemed and joined together as a family. We're a motley crew of misfits put together to show the beautiful mercy of our Savior. We're family now. Adopted into God's family by faith. We love each other because while we were his enemies, he loved us, each one of us. And so remember, church isn't about looking good or having perfect programs. It, it may be that another church looks more desirable, 
than us. Kind of like when you were a kid and you thought your parents or your friend, best friend's parents were way cooler than yours, right? Maybe another church would work better for you. I don't know. This area has been blessed with many gospel preaching churches and we pray for them often. But just remember what church is. The local church is filled with sinners loved by a beautiful Savior. The local church is filled with people for whom Christ gave his life. So if you come to church looking for the perfect ratio of self-help and good relationships, you'll be disappointed. But if you come looking for people who are messed up, but know Jesus is the only one that can get us all the way home, well then welcome in. You're with family. Paul greatly loved the church. That leads us to our second point this morning in verse 18. Satan's hatred for the church. Paul writes there, we wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. We don't know exactly what Paul is referring to here. It could have very likely been the persecution in Thessalonica that kept them away. It could have been illness with Paul or a problem he had to deal with in the church at Corinth. It could have been that threat of legal punishment. They made Jason take a sort of um, uh, promise. So maybe there's legal punishment coming if they went back to Thessalonica. But Paul is clear, whatever it was, Satan was at work to hinder his return to that new church. The, the word for hinder there has sort of a military meaning of soldiers kind of chopping and breaking up a road to make it impassable, to block off entrance. Satan had stopped Paul's eager desire to see the Thessalonians again. And, and I don't think we should skip or skim past those only four words quickly this morning. I think we have an opportunity here to remember that Satan greatly desires the destruction of the church. His number one priority in life is to hinder the glory of God, to prevent the spread of the God-glorifying gospel, and the gospel is spread through the church. We often, and rightly so, talk about God's sovereignty in persecution and suffering, but we shouldn't just, for that reason, neglect or forget Satan's direct role in instigating opposition to the church, opposition to us. Church, Satan is real, and he has real and powerful tactics to wage war against us. Paul will later tell the Corinthian church that Satan is witty, and has evil designs. And again, in 2 Corinthians, he'll write that Satan even disguises himself as an angel of light. He's a master con artist seeking to foil God's salvation plan. Church, Satan is a terrible opponent, and he's our opponent. We must not downplay the role of spiritual warfare in the life of our church. As we want to be more like Jesus, as we want to see the gospel go out in Loudoun County and across the world, as we want to build a culture within our church that is shaped by the cross, that means we can be vulnerable with one another and exalt Jesus, that we can be free to share our sins with one another without fear of gossip or unfair judgment, Satan will be hard at work to make sure those healthy things do not happen here. Satan hates Loudoun Valley Baptist Church as long as we remain faithful to the true gospel of Christ. We must beware. We must resist him. We must put on armor to withstand him, as Paul will later write to the Ephesians. We must not underestimate his strength. We must pray for God's protection. 
But as we do, we must stand firm, knowing that in Christ we have victory over Satan, victory over death, sin, and hell. We must be careful and vigilant to guard ourselves against this enemy, but there's no reason, Christian, to despair or to ever fear that he might win. Listen to Romans chapter 16. At the end of Romans, Paul closes up his letter by saying this, the God of peace, that's our God, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The author of Hebrews will describe Jesus' work on the cross as through death destroying the one who has the power of death. Church, Satan is dangerous, but Satan is defeated. He has no power over our king. There's only one throne at the center of the universe and Jesus is the one that's on it. So Satan may hinder us, but he'll never hinder our God. Jesus is a strong man who has bound Satan, as the Gospels put it. Satan is crushed. His days are numbered. And so church like Paul, we may be hindered. We may be battered by Satan's attacks. We may be tried by his temptations. We may be wounded by his arrows. But no matter how much we're battered, we will not be beaten. No matter how much we were tried, we will not be defeated. No, how much we're, no matter how much we're wounded, we will not finally be killed. Jesus has won. Jesus will win forever. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded our helpless estate and has shed his own blood for our souls. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, friend, the Bible is clear. You're either in God's family or you're in Satan's family. You either belong to God or you belong to God's enemy. God designed each of us, you and me, to bring him glory, but each of us has failed in that. We have rejected him as our king by seeking our own way, by promoting our own fame. We don't worship him as our Lord, as the way we were created to do. And so church and unbeliever in our midst, we rightly deserve his wrath. But the gospel news that we rehearse every single Sunday, the gospel news that saved the Thessalonians is still being offered to us today. The news that Jesus, the son of God, willingly came to earth. They took on the form of a man and died in our place. Jesus lived the perfect life we were meant to live. And then he died the death we were meant to die for our sin. Jesus is a substitute sacrifice for all and any who would trust in him. So friend, you need him. Trust in him. Trust in the work he's done to defeat Satan and death for you. You cannot save yourself. Turn to Jesus. And church, let's remember we have an enemy. Just because we're in an affluent county, in a prosperous nation, with no enemy armies yet at our doorstep, doesn't mean we don't live in active warfare every single day. If you're on the Lord's side, you have an active enemy. And he's out to get you. So Christian, how are you responding to his arrows, his temptations, his 
Just little like compromises that he thinks you should be fine to take. Are, are, are you lackadaisical about it? Just, it's, I mean, you're not going to do anything crazy. Just doesn't need too much concern. You have enough other things to be concerned about. Christian, I'd encourage you, take Satan seriously. And, and let his attacks drive you to the cross and to the king who has victory over him. Paul loved the church. Satan hates the church. And let's conclude by seeing Paul's joy in the church. Look in verse 19. Paul says, For what is our hope, speaking of him and Silas and Timothy, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So in the coming chapters, Paul will come back again and again to the idea of Jesus' return. And we'll talk about that more, Lord willing. But here he brings up the idea of Jesus coming back. And he puts that in context with his joy in the church. And he says, in the, in the idea of Jesus coming back, you are my hope. You, church, are my crown. You're my joy, you young Christians. Why? How could he say that? Remember what the church was in Thessalonica. The church there was the fruit of the preaching of God's word, weren't they? Paul, so far, has just been loaded up with thanksgiving for what the powerful gospel has done in them converting them from false idols to the true God, coming in power through the Spirit. And now as he thinks about Jesus coming back, he says his hope and his joy is just wrapped up with them, with their hope and their joy. He hopes to receive a crown at Christ's return, and he says, you know what? You're my crown. You're the fruit of God's work through me, church. You're the fruit of my ministry. I'm not going to boast in what I've done. I'm going to boast only in what Jesus has done. You know, just, I'm sure, just down the hall somewhere in this building is a trophy case with medals and awards for athletics and other things. Oh, I'm sure Loudoun Valley High School students have won many awards and medals over the years. And that trophy case is a showcase of their victories to everyone who walks by. John Stott puts it like this. The Thessalonians are trophies of Christ crucified. They're a trophy case, a showcase, a testimony to everyone who would pass by them that Jesus has the victory, that Jesus can save, that Jesus can change hearts. Jesus can save the white supremacist, friends. Jesus can save the self-righteous churchgoer. Jesus can save the ISIS terrorist. Jesus can save the moral Mormon. Jesus is powerful to save, and he can save anyone. And Paul is rejoicing because the Thessalonians are proof of that. Paul finds his joy and his hope and his boast in them. As one author puts it, Paul considers the new believers there to be a present and future fruit to lay at Christ's feet at his final coming. 
Spirit had brought the gospel to Thessalonica through Paul. And so his hope in Christ is wrapped up in their hope in Christ. Their faith is bolstering his joy and his love is strengthening their faith. And Lord willing, together they would welcome Jesus back with the fruit of his gospel. What a beautiful picture of the family of God. In Loudon Valley Baptist Church, the same can be true of us. I know belonging to a local church can seem mundane at times, routine. But Paul saw this young, unimpressive local church at Thessalonica through a grand, eternal perspective. He saw Jesus coming back, returning for the church he bought with his blood. And he took such great joy in the fruit that was being born in preparation for that return in his brothers and sisters. I, I know we can rub each other the wrong way at times. I know we will get along better with certain members of the church than others. But Jesus has put us together as a church family for a reason. And it's for his glory. There's no one who's a member here at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church who's here by mistake. We need to learn to love the church God has given us and not the church that we want God to give us. We've covenanted together to love one another with all our baggage, all our sins, all our gifts. So how can we grow in taking joy in what God is doing in each other? Let me start. As one of your elders, I marvel at God's powerful grace at work as I look around this room. I'm not pretending. I'm earnest. I see new Christians growing in faith. I see brothers and sisters who've been ensnared in patterns of sin and yet breaking through those patterns by the power of the Holy Spirit. I see hearts being humbled and made more vulnerable to the gospel. I see faith being refined in the furnace of suffering. I see husbands imperfectly striving to love their wives and wives imperfectly learning how to love their husbands. I see families sacrificially giving time and money to benefit this church and to further our reach into this community for the gospel. Just look at the Backyard Bible Club this past week. I see college students making meals for people who've just had babies in the church. I take joy in you. I look forward to Jesus coming back and being spared his wrath with you because we believe the gospel together. We've been redeemed together through the power of his cross. And I think it's easy to think about the growth of this local church or any church really, but we're coming up on a year here. I think it's easy for us to think about the growth of our church family. I'm thinking spiritually primarily like kind of a grandfather clock, like in a, in a dusty corner of an old room. Yeah, it's there. It's, it's still keeping time, but man, does it go slow, you know? It's just like tick, tock, tick, tock, bong, you know? <laughs> and progress is happening in the church. Jesus is working, but it's just, it's just hard to tell sometimes, you know? But brothers and sisters, as we dig deeper into one another and into what God is doing, 
I think we will grow in thinking more about the spiritual growth of this church like a stopwatch. You know, the seconds and the hours go by at the same speed. But as you look at a stopwatch, you just see those milliseconds coming by faster than you can count. You ever try to like start and stop a stopwatch as fast as you can, see how low you can get? Time seems to run so fast when you see how the little hundreds of a second are speeding by. And I think as we dig into each other's lives and, and think about what God is doing, as this revealed to us, what he's doing to make us more like him, even behind the scenes, we'll see how much God is doing to grow us in our faith as a church family. You know, Jesus is doing great things here, family. He's working to build up this local church every time you pull out your Bible and read. He's working to build up this local church every time you turn away from that temptation in your workplace this week. He's working to build up this local church every time you have a play date with another mom. He's working to build up this local church every time you open up your directory of your lunch break and pray for other members. He's at work. Let's take joy in that. Now, we're being changed to be more like Jesus. It's happening, friends. I think we need to stop sometimes and stop dreaming about what could be and think about what God's doing right now and just be grateful. There's so much to glory in as we see what God's doing in us. Is that the way you're viewing your church family this morning? Have you thought recently about the ways God is working through the people around you? Do you know them well enough to be able to see what those things are? I don't know about you, but often my first impulse in church family life is to complain about others, to retreat from hard relationships, just be apathetic about certain things. Paul's great joy in this young ragtag group of Thessalonian believers is a reminder to us that the church is, the church is wonderful. No matter our faults, we've been purchased by the precious blood of our precious Savior. The Thessalonians were Paul's glory. And I know by God's mercy and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can grow in having that same joy here at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church as we delight in one another. So church, how can we do that this week? Let me suggest one thing. There would be many. How about engaging in a little holy gossip this week? There's nothing that can tear a church apart like sinful gossip. But there's not much that can make a church more healthy than some good holy gossip. Telling other members of the family what's going on. Did you know? Did you, did you know that so-and-so shared the gospel with his coworker this week? Isn't that great? I wish I could learn his boldness. Maybe I'll hang out with him more. Or did you know that so-and-so, I've just, I realized they just pray a lot for this church. When they say they're going to pray for me, I know they're going to pray for me. I think I want to pray with that person. You want, you want to get together and pray with that person? I think they teach me how to pray. Or did you know that so-and-so, as I've beginning to know her, is just really humble? I think if I hang out with her more, I'm going to become more like Jesus. Let's take joy in what God is doing in us, church, in our weakness, in our stupidity, in our need. He's given his own son for us, and let that gospel love motivate us to then care for and encourage the church that Jesus has died for and the church that Jesus is coming back for. 
And when things seem glim and people not worth that investment, remember, Jesus is coming back. And when he does, all the ransomed church of God will be saved to sin no more. What a day that will be. Can you imagine not being able to sin? Like, I know that when I have a conversation with you, I'm not going to offend you. It's just not going to happen. We can have an open conversation and we will be 100% encouraged after this. We won't be able to sin anymore when he comes back. So until that day, whether it comes today or this week or next month or next millennium, let's rejoice in God's work in us. And let's wait expectantly for the return of our king. Let's pray to that end. Our God, we thank you for Paul's example of love and joy that he took in the church. We thank you for your love for us and your victory over Satan in the cross of Christ. Lord, help us to be a church family that takes delight in each other. Not because we're so great or delightful, but because you have laid down your life for us. God, give us by your spirit patience, grace, mercy, and love toward one another. And give us that great expectation of the day you'll come and take us to yourself. Be with us now as we sing together in Jesus' name. Amen.